China EVs and more, where my co-host Lei Xing and I will go over the week's most important and interesting news coming out of the China EV, AV, and mobility sectors. What Lei and I discussed today is based on our opinions and should not be taken as investment advice. If you enjoy this room, please help us get the word out to other enthusiasts, and of course, tune in again next week. My name is Tu Li. I am managing director at Sino Auto Insights a management consultancy that helps organizations bring innovative and tech-focused products and services to the transportation and mobility sectors. I write a free weekly newsletter that we pull many of our discussion topics from. You can sign up for it at sinoautoinsights.com, which of course, I encourage you all to do. Good evening, Lei. Can you introduce yourself, please? Good morning, too, and good evening from my side. My, na- my name is Lei Xing. I'm your co-host and former chief editor of China Auto Review. This is episode number 74 so basically, June sales continued Geely's radar launch. Uh, before we begin, uh, update us on your um, things on the ground and your recent visit to check out the uh, Jidu Robo One. Yeah. So, <laughs> how was that? Let's uh, let me give you guys a quick update on the uh, situation here. Parts of Shanghai are in. Well, let's just say there's partial lockdowns in Shanghai. And so I think there is a bit of uneasiness across the entire city. It has not affected any production that I've heard of. And you can also comment on that, you know, with with your uh, insider's lay. But for now, there are parts that have been locked down for a little bit. But, you know, I had uh, conference calls with two companies yesterday and they were in their office. No one's wearing masks because I could see them on the Zoom calls and stuff. So it's a little bit weird, to be quite frank. And then uh, in Beijing, they things are pretty normal here. Although if we want to stay in Beijing, your life is not going to be too uprooted. But it's summertime. Families want to go out on vacation and Families like me would normally go to the United States or go abroad, but uh, we're limited to domestic travel. But certain cities have different COVID restrictions, so that makes it a little bit tricky as well. But on to this week's trip to Baidu. I'd never been to Baidu headquarters, and Jidu, who's located down in Shanghai, had sent up one of their robo-1s for the employees to kind of have a look at. And so if you can think of a Chinese version of Google's campus in Mountain View, that's kind of what, it's much more conservative. You know, it's not as flashy as as the Google headquarters, but that's that's kind of the feel that you got. And so I was really impressed. Google has, or Baidu has a huge campus up in Zhongguanzun. But uh, yeah, so there's a kiosk in the common area in between all of the buildings and inside this kiosk is the purple Robo One. And there's two people that are there. They have scheduled times for employees uh, to, to go in and learn about the car. Now, you're not really supposed to sit in it or, or touch it or do any, anything like that, but I cheated. I was lucky. I feel pretty lucky because I think I was one of the few outsiders that, and I don't really consider myself media, to to get and take a look at it while it's in Beijing. And initial thoughts the ro- about the Robo One. It's it's big. It's five meters long, so it's not you know the size of an X3. It's it's big. And the first thing I saw was that purple. 
the purple that you see in the pictures and the videos don't do it justice. You could dive and swim in to this purple. It's much better in person, looks much deeper in person than in pics. I think there's a certain maturity to the design because there's curves, but there isn't this gaudy jewelry that you'll see on EVs in general, but also in for Chinese EVs because there's, you know, there's just not a lot of creases, there's not a lot of additional you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, jewelry. And uh, you could tell there was a lot of restraint to the design so that the user or the driver can focus on interior-wise on the voice commands and that coast-to-coast screen. For me, the lack of physical knobs and buttons really, really stood out because it's just that screen, a steering wheel, and a center console that is really minimal as well. So as an older person, it was a little uncomfortable to see just reliance on the screen, but I'm probably on the fringe of what their target market is. Uh, And, you know, that just means that hardware and software integration that you and I talked to Frank about needs to be on point. If the UX, the user experience that Frank and his team has designed is really going to come through, right? Yeah, so by the way, uh, two things. One is unlike uh, Silicon Valley where these tech companies have their own campuses, uh, Baidu, I think um, Sina, Sohu, and uh, a couple of others, they're in this area called the Houchangchun. Yes. Which is it's like a special area for these uh, tech and uh, uh, Xiaomi is portal, there. Yeah, portal companies, vertical portal companies. So, and two, we're finalizing the uh, editing of our uh, Max episode with Frank Wu, who will talk more about, you know, the, 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 some of the design philosophy of, you know, the, the no button and obviously what's going to make it into the production vehicle. He, he gives some hint as well. <laughs> so stay tuned uh, for that. We'll, I guess we'll, we'll try to uh, publish on, on Monday. Is that correct? Yeah. So first of all, my apologies to lay behind in it. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. Oh, and and a couple other things. The interior is massive. I think one of the, the one of the things that we can kind of confirm that you and I had talked about already was that that the suicide doors weren't weren't going to make it into production. That that was obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so yeah, it was it was a great way to show how large the interior is. I don't think the bucket seats, the rear bucket seats are gonna make it into production either. So let's see how the rear interior changes because of that. So Yeah. Anyways, so so it's nice that, that you got to look at the concept at least in, in, in yeah. person. Mm-hmm. And and how is How's the concept in terms of, I know we shouldn't be talking about build quality on a concept, but was it, did it feel, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you so, got a chance to touch and feel. Uh, so uh, I got, I'll give you an example. <laughs> There's, so I walked in with probably 12 employees, Baidu employees, and uh, they gave us this five, six, seven minute overview this woman, she kind of gave us a, a good grounding and understanding of, of the the concept, the actual vehicle, and I understood about seventy percent of it. So it was great. And then 
they all left and and I got to stay for a little bit, taking some pictures, taking some videos. And they showed me the, there was a use case of a man, let's say it's a man driving the, the Robo One from work to home. And that screen, it was basically just a video of all the changes and everything that was going on in the vehicle, but acted out in the screen. And so I've I recorded that and I will post it. And that's what I was asking you about the the Zimu, right? Or the subtitles lay. Because I think again, the even the UX on the the coast to coast screen was very seamless. Where I think earlier iterations and tries for for that stuff is a little clunky, but it and the voice command, the voice command has to work in order for this to to get where they need it to be. But to answer your question, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. The build quality was actually really good. So nobody was in there. And I was like trying to lean my hand in, my arm in to take a picture of the the IP from the rear. And then they were, they were like, you're not supposed to go sit in it, but go ahead and get in. And so I got in there and I was just, you know, touching and feeling stuff. And uh, even for a concept that I was very delicate, but for a concept, it was it was pretty solid. So I think they're, you know, Frank had said they're pretty, pretty close to almost being production ready. So I, I, I saw and felt that in the car. The panel gaps were pretty consistent and I checked and the paint was consistent because even on production vehicles, it, when yeah. I've gone into a Neo and stuff, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's it's a concept car, so we really shouldn't be talking about these things. But still, I'm I'm just trying to get a you know a feel of of just the quality because some some concepts I've seen at auto shows, they're poorly. Oh, so poor! You can see the glue, but I think that's Frank's experience working at a major automaker, a foreign automaker. And probably not accepting those types of small details and mistakes, right? Yeah. And, you know, perhaps uh, we, we can go into, you remind me, um, this is another topic we can talk a little bit about, which is the HMI, the, the whatever, the uh, this part of the competition is really cutthroat. And I guess the quote of the week was from William Lee, CEO of NEO, saying, responding basically to Zeker's free upgrade of the 8155 chip. <laughs> and he just bluntly said in that group chat, and he says, you know, we have 200,000 customers, and it's going to cost us $2 billion MMB, <laughs> and I just can't afford to do it. Whereas the Zeker, <laughs> they just paid... They just absorb that 300 million MMB cost and say, you know, we're going to upgrade it for free. And the reason being is the first customers, there were a lot of complaints on yes. things not working as smooth because of this cockpit interaction. And it was slow, right? Certain, you know, apps or, or uh, touching the screen and swiping the screen, things like that. So this was a, a big chatter, I think, last week on on how tough, how you know, how how competitions just just the, the Chinese word is juan, which is involuted. Yes, that, that people get sucked into this competition. If you don't do this, then the expectations, like you know, why 
because because a few episodes we ago we talked about the 2022 versions of the three existing models of neo but you have to pay a little <laughs> bit to upgrade to to the, to the newer chip right 8155 yep. so <laughs> i thought that was interesting and just just how competition is just yeah for our new listeners, let's give a history lesson on that Zeker 001, because it wasn't a Zeker, it was a Lincoln Co. car to begin with. And the second thing is that it's Geely. So Geely is not a tech company. William Lee started a tech company. So he looks at these things completely differently than the product team at, at Zeker. Okay. Yeah. You you can hire software people and tech people, but you know if it's be if the process or product development process is being driven by car people, the car is going to be different for sure, right? Yeah, and and that's why is this a chip problem? I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think it's more of an integration and manufacturing built problem because there's others that also have this older. Uh, Snapdragon uh, chip for the cockpit, and and they work fine. So Zeker, right? It's a new new brand, a new positioned performance kind of positioned uh, EV. So you know this 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 is where customers' expectations are so important nowadays. That if you don't right, if you don't meet certain expectations, they will revolt. Yeah, against you. And that's that old saying, you get one chance to make a first impression, right? And so Zeker, I think, made it up by paying $300 million to get that <laughs> kind of reputation back. That's how it is. And he, William is like, you know, we can't do it. We, we <laughs> And that was, yeah. that was a poke. That was a poke. That was yeah. definitely a poke. That wasn't yeah. him being modest. That was him poking at Zeker. The, the other thing that I really want to quickly mention is our expectations are set by our our mobile handset and and tablet ecosystem so we get instant latency or instant reaction and feedback on our tablets and our phones so the same expectation and i don't think customers will think okay i should expect something different while i'm in the car versus when i'm using my phone but it's the car company's designers jobs to bridge that difference right and if they're not doing a good job of it then they'll know about it very quickly <laughs> yeah and there, there's also some other recent issues stemming from what were promised on paper versus what were de- actually delivered causing some complaints from uh, uh, customers of other brands, right? So these things, they, they happen. So back on uh, on sales, I think we pretty much talked about sales last episode, but yep. right, these recent numbers that, that came out from CPCA and CAAM just kind of, you know, sort of solidify my belief that, that the, the China's NEV market is strong, it's resilient, it's you can't underestimate it, really. Always surprises you uh, how strong it can come back. And that's what happened in June. And this is, so setting aside the lockdown and the production issues and the lumpiness on some of that stuff, this is, the the, the strength in the market is a combination of the diminishing subsidies, but also the competition 
the products. And if there wasn't a lot of competition and a lot of products to choose from, there wouldn't be pricing pressure to keep prices affordable or competitive. Okay. And so if there are only a handful of EVs in the market, they could price them pretty high and and not feel the pain of a competitor undercutting them. But the competition is so fierce across different segments. So that along with I think the subsidies play a little role, but the incentives for goosing the the market because of the lockdown, I think that's also helping. But generally speaking, it's those two or three levers. Yeah, and and this year in particular, we have the extra, though quite a few or or a majority of the brands have raised EV prices. Right. At the same time, I don't think we we talked about this, that, you know, this is not going to affect demand. And we have this extra stimulus nationally and locally on purchase of NEVs. And although the ICE purchase tax, half of the purchase tax Policies in place that'll take a little bit of share away, but it's right. EV sales they're going to remain strong until the end of the year, and we we saw some of the penetration. I mean, in the Chinese brands, I think they were like forty percent or something already. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, very high. And in particular, that long photo of the rankings based on different <laughs> price segments. Yeah, I think that was a perfect. That was done by Neil, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. So that gave you a, a quick look at kind of the competitive landscape. And if you look at those price segments, where the foreign legacy, either the mass brands or the premium brands are, they are just, right, they're, they're way behind. And, and the 200,000 and below, if you look at those models, there is not a single foreign brand in there. Right. I think those were the top 10 or 15 brands. And and then especially the the hi-fi one uh, that that they posted right we we had some discussion with uh, Abe and also the the four hundred thousand and above right Neil has two on on the list uh, leading that one and if you look at the Audis and the Mercedes and, and a few hundred units right so that they have so much to catch up if they want to be in the top three or top five and let's not forget that they've never been behind looking at someone's back trying to chase them in the China market generally. So this is a completely different position for the German automakers cuz let's be let's be real. The the luxury automakers have been dominated. The the luxury market, the premium segment has been dominated by the German car makers for the last 25 years here in China. You know the, the ABB, right? And so this is completely new and uncomfortable territory for them. And they've just been generally caught flat-footed because as you as you pointed out, if we look at different price points, the the top three or four are normally going to be occupied by Chinese domestic brands. And if you think about it, the premium segment above 500,000, you would think that's what they would own. But it's hi-fi that is number one for at least June, right? So, yeah. I think also the pace of either these new brands or new models that are launched is just relentless. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that the foreign brands, they can't keep up. L- look at, right, these past few weeks. What have we been talking about? And and this is this could be 
This is probably challenging for the foreign automakers because they're global. And so the cadence that, you know, product development and new features in China outpaces what is probably the right speed in Europe and the United States. So maybe it's the, I anticipate perhaps the opposite problem, the Chinese EV first companies entering Europe and the United States and having to slow down their, their constant updates that they need to. So working at two speeds in multiple different regions is really challenging, I think, right? From a management standpoint. Yeah. And I think just today we've heard news that let's say the Nissan Leaf is going to be discontinued. And also the possibly the EQC might be discontinued, right? You saw that, right? Yep, yep. And then I think the only, let's say in the 200 to 300,000 range, I know the ID6s are respectable, right? A few thousand units. Other than that, right? The Mustang Mach-E, when that number came out, 3,500 units for the first half of 2022, uh, <laughs> wasn't what we were expecting. No, I, I think that's extremely low, well, and I, I mean, don't. I don't think it be. I don't think it's a production issue. Yeah, I mean, there's there's chip supply problems, but uh, I don't know. And then you have BYD is supplying some of the batteries, but BYD's also got to take care of their own. <laughs> Speaking of BYD, in August they're going to be increasing monthly output to three hundred thousand units a month. Yeah, that. <laughs> That number I can't even fathom because woo, <laughs> that is a wild, wild number. Because three hundred thousand units, it's a few years ago, China sells three hundred thousand units NEVs a year. <laughs> so I sent you the link to that article where the Min Minxiang securities analyst said that yeah, for the foreseeable future, until likely we get into a fifty percent penetration rate in China. For NEVs, now, again, NEVs includes PHEVs, BEVs, and HCEVs, generally speaking. He said that we'll continue to see double-digit growth. So that bodes well for BYD because if we're at 50% penetration, that means that almost 11 million vehicles a year are going to be NEVs, right, before the market slows. So the first half CAAM, CAAM numbers were 2.6 million. That's 120% growth. And let's say China does 6 million this year. And let's cut that 120% in half. Let's say 50%. 6 million and 50% growth will get you to 9 million. Yeah. Right? Yep. So we, we can look forward to 2023 now that the possibility of China selling 10 million units it's, it's very. It's not out of reach. No, it's 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 within reach. Uh, the the other number I think was important to point out is Chinese export. So the two point six million units include some export, and I think CAAM said first half NEV export was around two hundred thousand units. Okay. Last year it was three hundred thousand units. The official number. Right. So um, I think. You know, we we can probably expect close to half a million NEVs exported. Again. Okay, right? So that number is actually, to me, low, but it's because that the production issues meant that they wanted to accommodate domestic 
customers before export customers. And I think 2021 numbers for the entire year were about 550,000 exported. So, so not, not a ton of growth if we get to half a million or 600,000 units exported for the end of 2022. But again, the priority is going to be the China domestic market for most of these automakers. I think how the second half um, turns out really dependent on, aside from uh, the COVID outbreaks, disruptions, chips, are these policies and the announcement of that potential announcement of the extension of the purchase tax exemption policy, when that is announced, could affect how strong the market performs. Sometimes if it's late in the year, okay, then people will think that it's going to end at the end of the year, then there will be uh, a push. But, you know, so that, that, that'll affect. But six million, it's, I, I think it's, it's entirely, it's going to happen. I'm in the talk about two things that I just thought of because of that 10 million number that we just threw out for 2023 lay. That means that every EV company is going to be fighting for raw materials, going to fight for batteries, going to be fighting for chips. Okay. Capacity, more capacity should come online, but it is that could also make costs rise. 10 million is just a mind bogglingly large number. And, and I think there, there could be some challenges just securing if you're a foreign automaker who isn't producing a lot of vehicles, then for a supplier, you're going to be lower on their tier of importance for for supplying parts to. So if China EV Inc. is hoovering up most of that capacity, then it could leave the foreign automakers out in the cold uh, in 2023 as well. So Well, obviously, we can't expect 120% growth every year because that, that base number gets bigger and bigger. So, right. So, uh, so six million, a fifty percent growth is very significant. Then, a let's say this year it grows a hundred percent, right? The second thing I wanted to to mention was that this market is growing, and so we have, and, and you know this, like we haven't even really seen competition because everybody's eating, everybody's selling now because of weak product. Companies are, are are losing out on sales volume, but not because because in a mature automotive market, in order to grow your sales, you have to take it from somebody else, and so customer acquisition costs increase, and that's when real, real, real competition starts. And so we haven't even seen or felt the the bare knuckle brawling that is going to happen once that growth rate gets to low double digits or even single digits. So, you know, currently I, I feel everyone's eaten, right? If you have, if your product is is not competitive in the market, that's just market economics taking care of, of that, right? But let's say you have some great products in the market and the only really real way to dif- differentiate is branding and pricing. <laughs> and we know, Lay, that that's the MO of the automotive sector when in mature markets, right? So next we radar? go to radar. Yeah. <laughs> What's on your radar? <laughs> yeah. 
So what do you think? What do you think? No, the first thing I thought, isn't there a, a, a watch brand called Rado? That's also Leida uh, in Chinese. Yes, Rado, Rado. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's called in Chinese, but it's called Rado or Rado. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, Geely, more brands that they can conjure up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I feel that they're almost taking it too literally that the. That they want to to create economies of scale with their SEA platform, and so they're creating different top hats. But the the le- brand management is going to be really important for Geely, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting that they they launched this just as China is on this wave of outdoor lifestyle <laughs> camping. Uh, I don't know whether this was a coincidence or. How they plan this, right? It's it's just it seems the right time to launch this brand if they were branded that way, right? And we were trading messages with with Frank on some of the design, styling, and I guess <laughs> the, the 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 front design of the radar was rather close to some other <laughs> mirror mirror image mirroring mirror some image. other brands, but I guess this wasn't. Like a G Dual Robo One, I, I I mean I think I think the radars the RD six design was a bit bland. It didn't jump out as like a Rivian, right? Rivian, you have that very strong stance with the headlights. It was a you know just a pickup, electric pickup, but it was all about this in that press conference. It was all about this outdoor lifestyle and utility functionality. Um, all that. And Americans know that this is like a Ford Ranger size pickup, not an F-150 size pickup. So it, it it's Maverick? almost yeah, Ranger, a, a Ford, Maverick? Ford Maverick. Yep, exactly. So it's, it's much smaller than an F-150. And so when I think America, I believe that when Americans think pickup, the first thing they think of is F-150. So... I think this also the launch of this radar brand follows this trend over the recent years where companies are diving into very niche, not niche, but very specific segments. So the examples are the Aura, right? This is a brand dedicated to females, female yep. bars. Let's say a tank, Great Wall's tank, this kind of macho off-road style. Uh, right, and then the hi-fi. Hi-fi is basically this ultra premium, connected, edgy, yeah, positioned. And now you have this radar, and we still haven't heard from Greywall has the other brand, the Salon, and yes. BYD is launching that supposedly off-road premium brand. Right, so the, the, these are brands going into very specific segments that we've never really thought could be a market before. And now they're 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 almost, you know, generating these these market on on, <laughs> on their own. Uh, that that something that didn't exist before that they made it. I don't I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but this outdoor domestic travel trend also coincides with COVID because five years ago, six years ago, lay the commercials you saw on TV were probably jet setting going to other countries trip.com hey you know 
go to Rome, go here, go there. But now, you, I, you know, I don't know if one was created by the other, but, and, and uh, you know, I'd mentioned in an earlier podcast that pollution has improved significantly in a lot of the tier one and tier two cities here in China. So I think that's also a reason for the outdoor stuff. But yeah, and also the policy landscape with the recent elimination of the used vehicles not being able to be transferred across cities and provinces. That's been right. the use of pickups in, in cities, how, how that's going to change, right? And, and the lifestyle part of it. You can bet that Li Shufu in the next Congress is going to be pushing for more liberal liberal acceptance of pickups on right. major and, on major gaosus, right? And and Geely, remember they do have a commercial vehicle group. They still have that huge heavy duty truck that that we haven't that the concept that they revealed that they, they're they're going to get into. We should also remind people of a couple of things. First of all, that Wuling Hongguang Mini EV came out of nowhere, right? There was no use case for that. Right. Previously, right. So, and the second thing is, and and well, first thing now that sells thirty five like clockwork thirty thirty five thousand units a month. The second thing is because China is the world's largest passenger vehicle market. These niche vehicles can still sell a hundred two hundred thousand units a month or a year. So, whereas a niche vehicle in a smaller market in Europe or the U.S. market might not have the volume to merit such a specific vehicle for a specific use case. In China, if it's popular enough, you could probably sell 10, 12,000 of those a month. So, yeah. And uh, you're just creating these new segments. That's, that's right. Um, and and we, right, X-Fong is, is betting on um, flying cars. They just got a new investment. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. investment uh, on that uh, entity, which is completely weird because that's that's only going to be a foreign market thing. And by the way, Geely is also doing this with the uh, Terrafugia and their investor in Volocopter. And we saw our good friend uh, Roger posting that uh, Daniel Kocher has gone to a <laughs> EV Vital startup. Yes. So for those who are wondering who Daniel Kirchert is, he's an ex-BMW, or is it... Infinity BMW? Yeah. <laughs> China guy? Hung Chur, Byton, Byton, and then... Co-founder and president of Byton, yep. Then he went down to the Evergrande Hung Chur, and then he left, moved back to Germany, it looks like, and is now a co-founder or executive at a startup, Evital company in Germany. So... I, I think that's a really, really unique situation because most of these eVTOL companies are only going to be able to sell outside of China. So anything else? That's it. I think other outside of China, just, just tons of news uh, over here on, on batteries and, and charging, right? GM working with eVGO and Pilot on that, on that you know highway um, charging route. Panasonic is in the news, right? Yeah, so... Uh, Nori wrote that article about Panasonic gaining efficiency on their uh, on their battery. So a lot of good, some good clar- clarification from Nori on that. And then uh, really quickly, Lei, let me go through my global roundup real quick. Congratulations! First of all, goes to Hao Tai Tang who announced that he'll be retiring 
He's a young guy out of Ford, an executive, one of the executive managers. And I looked up, I look up to him because he's Vietnamese American. I think he has a similar story to my family. And so uh, it's disappointing that he's leaving Ford because he's one of the few Asian, specifically Vietnamese executives that I know of in a foreign automaker. So, but I'm sure he's going to be landing somewhere very soon and, and I'll keep track of him. Oh, you can bet that retirement, you put an asterisk on that retirement. <laughs> you, you can bet he'll show up somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. He's just too young to retire, I think. Yep. <laughs> and then um, next, Tom Zhu is now the vice president of Asia Pacific for Tesla. Yeah, uh, he was uh, promoted. It's eff- effectively it's a title change and not much else. I don't think because everything revolves around the China operations in Asia, right? I remember attending a, a event back in I think 2015 when Tesla opened one of their showrooms in you know in Beijing near that one Da Plaza. Uh, yes. Near, uh, yep. Right. Da- near Dawanlu and stuff. Yeah, second or third or showroom in Beijing or something. Yep. He he was there and he was I think he was in charge of charging infrastructure. So he's come a long way. Yeah. the The rumor has it is that he's tireless. He's one of those four or five hours a night sleeping kind of guys. He he slept in Shanghai Giga during during early early parts of the the restart of production during the lockdown and so you uh, must be uh i guess he was referring to him huh when he said <laughs> <laughs> the, the chinese people yeah <laughs> so mobileye delayed their ipo so intel's uh you know gratification financial gratification is also delayed and i i think that mobileye is having some challenges so with growth so keep an eye on what they're doing because you know companies like Qualcomm, Nvidia, uh, they're not slowing down, and we should start seeing more penetration in China at least from companies like Horizon and Black Sesame. So that's going to leave a few of the foreign chip manufacturers or uh, hardware software stacks for autonomous vehicles uh, kind of odd men out, and then um, Kapati leaving Tesla. <laughs> right, that's all the chatter now. Yeah. And the, the the last the two more things. I'm starting to see a ton of ET sevens on the roads here in Beijing. <laughs> it's about time. It's about time. They do have a presence, and the small wheels kind of look weird. So if you're going to get an ET seven, you should definitely go for the at least the twenty or twenty one inch wheels or whatever. Yeah, look for that ES seven to get onto that sales ranking list above four hundred thousand pretty soon. Right. Right. So I think we've mentioned that I'm going to be in Detroit for the auto show. And this week, Time Magazine named Detroit as one of the world's greatest places. That that makes me want to check out Detroit more now. (laughs) So, and I did, because I posted that in my newsletter and I got some hate, you know, from my friends, like my European friends. It's like, dude, whatever, man. So, you know, you, you can hate on Detroit and then anyways, but uh, I'm looking forward to coming back because it's going to be an exciting time. So, But you, you can really feel, I mean, me being here, what's going on in the West is definitely, you know, waking up and trying to catch up to yes. what's going on in the East, right? Throughout the, yeah. uh, the value chain. And 
the I think just to touch on why we and most people who have listened to us before know this why we started this podcast is because I don't really care if if you're in the U.S., Europe, or or, or China, you don't have to physically be here, but you need to really understand what's going on. And I just don't feel a lot of the analysts and media until recently have really even tried. They just, anytime you talk about Tesla, if you don't talk about China, you don't know what you're talking about. Global business for Tesla, right? It it just boggles my mind. And the FT over last weekend did a deep dive, two articles within two days or three days of BYD. I mean, these are the types of things that are creating the 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 awareness and hopefully we're helping right Lay? you know i feel that we are helping and, and byd is about to make some huge announcements i think come later this year or early next year yeah so are are we going to go if i'm still there are we going to go to the Eli auto show and and ces2 then lay <laughs> <laughs> i'll be there <laughs> yeah and and next week i guess it's uh, a week from today it's baidu world you you're going i suppose Yes, so they're going to have a small live update from the Yijuang Depot. And I think I've been invited to the Yijuang Depot. So that'll be cool. That'll be my second time this year going to there, uh, to the depot. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Lay and I thank you for tuning in. My name is Tu Lee, and you can find me on Twitter at Sino Auto Insight. That's S-I-N-O-A-U-T-O-I-N-S-I-G-H-T. You can find Lei on Twitter at LeiXing77. That's L-E-I-X-I-N-G-7-7. If you wouldn't mind rating and or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you grab your podcast from, we'd appreciate that as well. Even better, if you enjoy this show, please tell your friends about it. Please join us again next week as we track down all the latest news on China, EVs, and more.